Good. I'd like to request your attention for some thoughts. I would like to revisit last night's territory of self, selfing, and anatata. See whether I can do this in three minutes, what I did. Do it some length last night. I was hoping to identify three crucial areas of notions of self. A self that is a developmental task of learning skills, learning to identify um, sense faculties, learning to identify needs, learning to recognize, hold, modulate and understand emotional responses, learning to connect in meaningful ways what I need and what I wish with actions and behavior that have some hope that uh, what I wish can manifest. In other words, self is a developmental task. That is a self the Buddha has no objections. In fact, much of contemplative training is about establishing just such self-competence. Such a self is not metaphysical. It is a changing self. It is, a, it is a skill of being in relationship with one's own process, very much encouraged by the contemplative tradition. Then we have self as acts of selfing, as acts of identification, as forms of conceit, of grasping, of getting meanness out of things, of relating to things in terms of self-objects. This is very much discouraged by Buddhist teaching and it is understood to be the root of most of our suffering. Upadana, the act of grasping and the act of identification is the central culprit in the arising of suffering, together with ignorance, of which grasping at a self is one aspect of. Sometimes such grasping is explicitly and ideologically uh, buttressed, as in the form of Atavada Upadana. Sometimes it is um, unquestionably and through lack of uh, appropriate attention corroborated uh, feeling of self, as in Sakaya Ditti, the personality view. And sometimes this is just a lingering feeling of meanness that can occur even at relatively high degrees of realization, as I hope to outline in a moment. This would be called asmi mana, or mana conceit, asmi mana, the conceit of I am. All of these are obviously completely detrimental to growth and progress, and they were outlined in the Buddhist teaching. And we are encouraged to work with all forms, both the gross one as uh, an espoused view or ideology or theory about the self, the second one as the most subtle and maybe the most pernicious way of feeling more solid and more me and more in control and more owners than we are, and thirdly, the most subtle, lingering uh, proclivity, the anusaya of uh, asmimana, of the conceit of I am. Uh, as the, one of the latest residues to be shed before freedom beckons. Uh, 
the teachings that refer to this point, and this is maybe important, are not actually the teaching on anatta. It's the teaching on anatta is not really geared to undo this whole second dimension of a self. It's the teaching on upadana, on grasping and identification. It's the teaching on the kantas, on the aspects of experience, the aggregates. And it's the teaching on mana, on conceit, which are a lot more geared towards the undoing of such a, a selfing habit, a selfing pattern, a selfing notion. Thirdly, we have self as a soul, self as an immutable core, an essence of my being capable of going from death to life again, capable of uh, remaining unchanging through time and through conditions. A self that the, his, the Buddhist tradition would have found in its uh, context, then called Atman, and such a self, the Buddhist teaching has basically denied in a roundabout way with his doctrine of anatta by pointing out that implicit in the experience of change as a hallmark of all experience is also the impersonality. Because if things changing, not just out there, but also in here, any such soul, any such immutable essential self cannot have a footing in reality if that reality keeps changing. So you cannot establish a solid self on the basis of changing experiences. So this third dimension of self, the Buddha has clearly referred to and refuted with his teaching of the anatata uh, approach in many, many ways. It's also important to understand that the teaching of anatata, which means the non-selfness or the uh, not-selfness, this is a strategy. Yeah. This is not an absolute doctrine. Uh, there isn't the self-shaped hole in the universe to be more real than what feels like self. Um, it's probably best to understand this as, as not self. You know, things, something is not self. This mat is not self. Uh, this, this, this body is not self. These thoughts are not self. These uh, will impulses that occur in this mind are not self. The reasons why we want to have a self is uh, as a psychological protection mechanism against pain and the experience of uncertainty, because that is uh, a challenge to handle. And thus the, the psyche creates the semblance of stability and structure and control beyond its actual powers. Even though such a safety is illusory and it is part of the developmental task to acknowledge the illusoriness of that, um, for a time being it serves a purpose. It makes it safe enough for us to learn. It makes it safe enough to make mistakes. It makes it safe enough to grow up and acquire skills. It is a part of the developmental task, and both East and West acknowledge this, uh, to acknowledge the boundaries of such a self, to acknowledge the conditionality of such a self, and to establish ways of adaptability. You know, finding adaptability is probably the big things uh, in human brains. Um, to be able to tolerate 
a paradigm change in your being needs to be a, needs that you can feel safe with things that are disordered and chaotic. And strangely, to be able to handle that, you need some form of confidence. You need some form of felt stability in instable environment. Yeah. So it's a bit like changing horses midstream. There is an acknowledgement that there are times when fairy tales need to end well. Yeah. The story needs to have a happy end. When you're a little older, it is equally important that you learn that there is ambiguity in stories. When you need to get a little older, you need to learn and to be able to handle that some things turn out bad, yeah? that there are losses. The hero pay, pays a price, yeah? time elapses. Penelope has gray hair when he comes back after 20 years. Yeah. So, Eastern and Western traditions acknowledge growth means we understand limitation and we understand that our toys and our skills acquired under certain circumstances need to be brushed up or may not be applicable when the situation changes. Why would we want, why does it feel like self? Part of it has to do with the nature of sense consciousness. I sense I'm at the receiving end of stuff. Sense impingements, Vedana. Um, I feel uh, impulses arise. I sense myself to be the director, the agency, the recipient or the victim of experience. Um, I identify as the occupant of this body. There's a number of reasons why self seems an attractive option outside of creating safety. It just feels that way, like it feels as if the sun is going down when I stand still and look at sunset. Although I know this is not true, it just feels that way. My senses seem to tell me things are going down and I'm standing still. As we know, this is not true, but still it feels that way. So in a sort of fallacious logic, if I believe my senses, then or my sense consciousness, then it feels as things are happening out there for somebody receiving them in here. So this, I believe, is one of the, the core reasons why we come into this split universe, this kind of dualizing or divisive experience that is implicit in vijnana, in divisive consciousness. Something out there, something in here. Then this out there becomes my world out there, and this in here becomes my my me in here and suddenly we have a world and we have a me and the me is a sort of protrusion in that world that needs that feels its own perilous fragility and needs constant reaffirmation it needs to be constantly validated it needs to be constantly proven uh, which is understandable because it doesn't exist yeah so that makes it aware that it needs a lot of corroboration. Unfortunately, this A doesn't work and B consumes an immense amount of energy. So the Buddha's suggestion is reconciliation with the impersonality of our uh, experience. Why do we also feel inclined to generate a self? 
there's three particular reasons that lead to the reification of my experience of individuality as a, an isolated me, as an isolated self. One of the, re one of the reasons is, um, has to do with attention. My attention habitually goes to things. It doesn't go to spaces. It goes to things. The attentional habit is a habit of grasping after nimitas, after marks, after characteristics. It latches onto things. It refers to the world in terms of thinginess. You know, this is what philosophers call reification. I keep making a noun out of uh, a fluid process. I keep making nouns out of adjectives. Yeah. So on one level you could say the reification is fostered by attentional patterns. Precisely speaking, I would have to say by patterns of inattention, because much of our attention is episodic and it's topical and it jumps. It doesn't connect. It just does this characteristic this characteristic, man, woman, red, blue, who, food, nice, angry, sunny, rainy, love it, don't love it, this kind of thing, known, not known, fascinating, boring, yeah, it does this kind of thing. Attention jumps to these things, it looks out for these things, and by latching onto them, we keep making parts of the world more real than other parts. Then these more real parts, they will be framed and that is the next step in terms of perception. So the next reason why reification takes place is perceptual. Remember when I spoke about Sanya the other night, I said that basically our senses are operating in terms of contrast. We keep having a fluid sensory impingement. Any moment of experience, so much is happening. If you think nothing is happening in your meditation, look closer. Passav happens, contact. Vedana, feeling tone happens. Um, manasikara, attention happens. Um, uh, sanya happens, perception happens. Uh, um, yeah. So you have any moment of experience, you have a whole number of things happening. You don't have to follow the Abhidhamma necessarily to uh, be aware of this. But then, what we do is with this number, these floods of sense streams, sense data streams, we, we serialize them, we package them, and the packaging happens in terms of perception. In other words, the stuff that comes in fresh and anew is being compared with some of the stuff I already know. It is, the new stuff is bundled, and if there is enough to coalesce into something that I believe to recognize, it gets labeled. Yeah? Ah, that's one of these. This is Peter. This is a clock. It's already midday. No, this is December. Yeah, We do this kind of thing. And as soon as we have that, we now have a, a baked reality, which is consisting of fresh sensory impingement, serialized, but also labeled and categorized in terms of my memory, in terms of things I already know. Now, what I already know is not necessarily accurate. What I know is not necessarily undistorted. Yeah? So I'm starting to paste the label of something known, memorized, remembered, which generally doesn't help the accuracy. Let's just be honest on this one. Yeah? 
It may not have been accurate when I perceived it originally. It certainly hasn't improved while it was there laying on in store. And my recognition of this particular thing being identical with the new particular thing is probably also having a few losses along the way. So this labeling of the old, of the new, in terms of the old, A, limits myself in, in when it comes to learning, because there may be things I haven't actually experienced, even though I believe to recognize them. And even if I do recognize them, they're probably quite a bit different from what I believed them to recognize as. Yeah? So there is some losses in this process of labeling, which Buddhist psychology calls sanya. One of the things that these sanyas have, they are stable. Yeah? They are panyatis, they are concepts. Yeah? I label my current flowing experience in terms of old static concepts. Yeah? That's, an that's an important shift. On one hand, that makes it a lot easier to handle them because I can keep referring to them. You know, concepts you can say, you can think about, you can memorize, you can communicate, you can describe, you can associate with. So in one way, this gives me a lot of freedom. In <laughs> another way, they completely lose their vitality. Yeah? The stuff I'm actually referring to has moved away from the concept I'm now playing with. Yeah? I'm speaking now with my own conceptualization process rather than with the flowing experience that has moved on. So I risk that this stuff is at considerable distance from what I'm actually thinking or talking about. This process of referring to my experience in static terms of perceptions further compounds the nature of the mind to reify its experience. And thirdly, we have language which functions in terms of me and you, a language which functions in terms of nouns. And every time you make a noun of something, you pretend it's actually stable. You deny that it is contingent. It just there in its naked suchness, just, you know, apparently unchanging, you know, which is a joke if you look close. Nothing is unchanging. So we have various layers, both in our attentional habit pattern in our perceptual habit pattern in our linguistic ways of relating to the world that encourage the solidification of both the notion of me and of the notion of a, a reified world out there. That this is less from satisfactory I don't think I need to convince you um, and that's in many ways why we meditate because uh, the undoing of this is not so easy. Now, it feels, even for meditators, quite, you know, very credible. If I have a perception, it takes quite some effort to talk me out of this. Yeah. If it just looks to me that way, if I perceive it to be that way, it will take a lot of convincing from somebody I either trust or I have respect or I'm willing to recognize a pattern. My first response when my perceptions are challenged would be normally defense. I would feel threatened because if my perceptions are not accurate and since I am identified with my perceptions, it means that not my perception is under questioning, so, but I am under questioning. Yeah? To the degree I have identified with these percepts, I am being disbelieved, yeah? not the perceptions I hold, which is challenging for most of us. It feels like not my opinion is wrong, but I am wrong. 
it feels not what I say is only partially true, but I, it feels I am only partial, partial viable. I am only partially okay. I am only partial real. Yeah. And that's where we get very defensive. Most of us get defensive. Yeah. Some of us get more clinically defensive, but then we have long labels which we can find in DSM. Five, you know. <laughs> and others of us get socially, in social, socially acceptable ways defensive, which may still be cre- creating remarkable amounts of suffering, but uh, that's the pattern. You know. Where pathology exactly starts, uh, I personally wouldn't want to leave that decision in the hands of uh, the American Analytical Society, to be honest. I feel safer with the Buddha. Uh, but, uh, you know, in some way he... He makes it quite obvious. He thinks if you're on the wrong side of awakening, we're deranged. Yeah? We're all, not without hope, but we're all substantially deranged in our responses by trying to somehow solidify our notion of self as the goal to be achieved. When that very attempt to solidify that notion is the greatest source of our suffering. Yeah? That seems a little deranged, isn't it? So that's why this teaching on self, selfing, and uh, anatata is is of some importance. I wanted to end with a little story uh, which holds some hope, even for teachers. Um, That story is again, uh, it's on a character called Kemaka. He is an elderly monk who uh, is ill and he's living in a monastery. I'm not can't read you all of it because it's too long. Um, he uh, lives in a monastery uh, near the Jujubi Tree Park, sick, afflicted, gravely ill. Um, the other monastics, uh, some of the elder ones of the other monastics, um, were concerned that he would die and basically sent a young monk over there and said to this young monk, whose name is Dasaka, come, friend Dasaka, approach the bhikkhu Kemaka and say to him, the elders say to you, friend Kemaka, we hope that you're bearing up, friend. We hope that you're getting better. We hope that your painful feelings are subsiding and not increasing, and that their subsiding, not their increase, is to be discerned. Then the venerable Dasaka replied, yes, 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 and went to Kemaka. And Kemaka answered, I am not bearing up, friend. I am not getting better. Strong, painful feelings are increasing in me, not subsiding, and their increase, not their subsiding, is to be discerned. Um, Venerable Dasaka scuttles back to the elder bhikkhus, reports as told, and the elder bhikkhus are obviously concerned that he, um, where he is at in his realization, and say, and send the young monk back and say, the elders say to you, friend Kemaka, these five aggregates, subject to clinging, friend, the Upadana Kandas, have been spoken of by the Blessed One. That is, the form aggregate, subject to clinging, the feeling tone aggregate, subject to clinging, the perception aggregate, subject to clinging, the volitional formations aggregate to clinging, uh, subject to clinging, the sense consciousness aggregate, subject to clinging. Does the Venerable Kemaka regard anything as self or as belonging to self among these five subjects to clinging? Uh, <clears throat> Dasaka says, yes. Report goes to Kemaka, who is on his sick bed, asks him this, um, and then 
replies, these five aggregates subject to clinging have been spoken of by the Lord. That is, uh, yeah, Rupa down to Vijnana. I do not regard anything among these five aggregates subject to clinging as self or as belonging to self. Yet I am not an Arahant, one whose taints have been destroyed. Friends, the notion I am has not yet vanished in me in relation to these five aggregates subject to clinging, but I do not regard anything among them as this I am, which is an interesting statement. Uh, Dasaka goes back to the monks, reports that, and um, they are puzzled by his answer. And... um, they send Dasaka back and say, well, look, if you, if you say you, you, you are not completely free, then that means you must be clinging to something, but you're saying you're not clinging to anything, so where is it at? You know? If you're either not clinging, then you must be free, or if you are clinging, then you're, not, then you're actually clinging to one of the aggregates. And how can you say you're not doing so? <clears throat> Dasaka goes back with, the set, with another set of questions, and then <clears throat> came a calm being thus asked, leaning on his staff, saying, enough, enough, Dasaka, why keep running back and forth? Bring me the staff, friend. I will go to the elder bhikkhus myself. So he gets up from his sick bed with his staff and makes his way over to the, to the elder monks. <clears throat> and um, goes over and basically tells them that they wrongly concluded that he is an arahat, although he does not cling to some of these khandas individually, he says, as for this I am, I do not say this I am is the body, I do not say this I am is my feelings, I do not say this I am is my perceptions, I do not say this I am is my uh, mental formations, I do not say this I am is my sense consciousness, nor do nor that it is other than the body, other than feeling tone, other than perception, other than uh, mental formations, other than sense consciousness. Yet with regard to the five groups of clinging, I am comes to me, but I do not consider it as this I am. Though, friends, an Aryan disciple has abandoned the five lower fetters, there still remains in him the subtle remnant from among the five groups of clinging, a subtle remnant of the conceit I am, of the I desire, a latent tendency to think I am. Later on, so he tells them discreetly that he is an anagami. Yeah? He speaks in the third person, yet with regard to the five... You know, Though, friends, an Aryan disciple has abandoned the five lower fetters, that means he's an anagami. Yeah? This is a polite way of telling his friends, look, boys, I'm not new to this. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, have, I have some realization, and I know where, the, I, I know where it's at with me. Um, uh, and yet, I do not want to claim more than I actually experience. There is a distinction you have not made. Uh, I have abandoned the five lower fetters. I am uh, a non-returner, and yet I am not free. Yeah. I do not want to uh, whitewash this little missing bit. And he tells them, uh, yeah, so there is, a, there is a subtle remnant of clinging from among the five groups, a subtle remnant of I conceit, of I desire, of asmimana, a latent tendency, an anusaya, to think I am. 
Later on, such a disciple dwells on contemplating the rise and the fall of the five groups of clinging. So he contemplates Samudaya and Atangama in the five khandhas, yeah, arising and ceasing within the five khandhas. And he sees this is the body, this is, um, this is its arising, this is its passing away. These are feelings, they're arising, they're passing away. Perceptions, they're arising, they're passing away. Mental formations, they're arising, they're passing away. This is sense consciousness, this is its arising, this is its passing away. So, as he dwells thus in contemplation, uh, of the rise and fall of the five groups of clinging, this subtle remnant from among the five groups of clinging, this subtle I conceit or I desire, this lingering tendency to think I am is brought to an end. Yeah. In other words, this is how you gain arahantship. Friends, it is like a cloth, soiled and stained, whose owners give it to the washerman. He rubs it smooth with salt earth, lye or cow dung, then rinses it with clean water. Now, though the cloth has been cleaned and thoroughly purified, there still hangs about it, unremoved, the subtle smell of salt earth, lye or cow dung. The washerman returns it to the owners who put it away carefully in a sweet-smelling box. Then the smell of salt earth, lye or cow dung that still clung to it disappears completely. In just the same way, friends, though an Aryan disciple has abandoned the five lower fetish and so forth. There's another example where he says, um, just see whether I can find that. Yeah, when he says, <clears throat> I am not clinging to the aggregates, and yet there is still that lingering sense of I man. Suppose, friends, there is a scent of a blue, a red, or a white lotus. Would one be speaking rightly if one said, the scent belongs to the petals, or the scent belongs to the stalk, or the scent belongs to the pistols? No, friends. And how, friends, should one answer if one is to answer rightly? Answering rightly, friend, one should say, the scent belongs to the flower. Yeah? So he compares his sense of asmimana with the situation where you cannot attribute the scent of the flower to an individual part of the flower. You cannot attribute that to the grasping at any individual part of it. And yet the lingering of the scent is still there as the scent uh, is there in the hall of the flower. And in the same way, the cloth, although clean, clean from attachment to the individual khandas, still has the lingering scent of lye and cow dung and what was it, ashes. Yeah. Um, and then it's put in the box and left for a while uh, to sweeten itself and it is free. And the good part at the of the story is, um, now then, when this teaching was thus expounded, the hearts of some 60 elders were completely freed from the cankers, as too was the heart of Venable Kemaka. Yeah? This is really hopeful for teachers. Um, <laughs> as you will uh, understand, I take uh, great delight in this story. Uh, so he literally talked himself to freedom there. And by explaining to his caring but somewhat uh, clumsy brethren, uh, his own process, and by outlining his own process, he uh, managed to free himself and to free, you know, 60 of them, which, not bad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good. Um, let me end with some...
practical matters. You've seen that I've made some sign-up sheets uh, for this morning. Um, I uh, was asked from the office folk that various books are missing. And to judge from the list of these books, some we have some... We have some Abhidhamma uh, aficionados here. The Datu Kata is missing from the library. The Pugalapanyati, the designation of human types. Analaya Santipatana, yeah, that's understandable. <laughs> Mahavastu, volume one, two, three. Wow. So we have obviously early Indian Buddhist uh, <laughs> scholarship is happening here. Reading the Mind, Kao Sun Luang, so appreciation for a f one of the great female Thai forest teachers. Talks on Buddhist, Buddhist meditation, Buddhist text through the ages, yeah, fair enough. Dhammapada, fair enough. Chataka stories, volume one to five, whoa, whoa, whoa. <laughs> Some serious reading is taking place here. Yeah. <laughs> 547 Jataka stories. Somebody has obviously a big project. So any knowledge where these books are, the office people would feel reassured to know that they are uh, still in the vicinity and if, if they could uh, be returned to the library. I uh, would, on another note, also like to uh, suggest as part of our transition uh, work that... Uh, if you're so inclined, come over to the council house with a cup of tea at 4.30. Uh, I'll be there and we'll be doing some facilitated uh, little dialogues and trilogues, if you're interested for an hour. You don't need to talk to me, but I will be there and uh, helping this a little bit. Yeah? Good. That'll be 4.30 today for an hour.
please uh, continue practicing today. Don't uh, allow the content of your mind, and it is likely that for some of you the mind is going to lean forward. Don't allow that to completely take rein. Um, it is good to contemplate the arising of thought as a, uh, and the content of those thoughts as something different. And it's good to contemplate the energies involved there rather than uh, trying to fix the future from here, which is unlikely to be a successful undertaking. So please consider holding the container and uh, contemplate some of the movements in your mind, departures take effort as arrivals and beginnings take effort and it means you will have to bear with some transitional stuff, feelings, movements of mind. Um, see whether you can get a perspective on this. The chances are precious and rare. You have now many weeks of practice under your belt and it is useful to apply some of this strength, stillness, capacity, perspective, space on the dynamic, the nature of the thought, the dynamic, the nature of the impulse, rather than solely trying to focus on its content and run with it. Run with it. So uh, make use of your hours here. The time is precious. <laughs>